0: Welcome to the markets, Dateline, Chicago, Illinois, Friday, January 25, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, and it's cold in Chicago, and it's cold in a lot of places in the Midwest, not having too much of an impact on markets, but it's certainly slowing things down from the standpoint of movement by car or walking I guess skis are okay, maybe. But uh, we begin, as always, by taking a look at the Wall Street numbers at the close of trade today. The Dow Jones Industrial Average ended the day with a gain of 179 points, 24,732 the S&P 500 ended the day up 22 points at 26.64, and the NASDAQ closed up 88 points at 71.61. For the week, the S&P a quarter of a percent. The Dow added a tenth of a percent, and the NASDAQ added also a tenth of a percent in the trade this week. So let's look at some of the details on the final trading day of the week. Of course, the big news is the uh, reopening of the government at least until next month sometime, depending on whether or not Republicans and Democrats can stay together on Capitol Hill. But Wall Street did gain ground today in a broad-based rally as investors were heartened by news that Washington would move to temporarily end the longest U.S. government shutdown in history. The indices backed off their highs after President Trump confirmed that he and lawmakers agreed to advance a three-week stopgap spending plan to reopen the government. Investor sentiment had faltered in recent days in the face of revived concerns related to the shutdown and the prolonged U.S.-China tariff spat And we're getting word from officials again that we're miles and miles away from reaching a final agreement on the U.S.-China trade situation. Charles Ripley, who is senior market strategist for Alliance Investment Management in Minneapolis, said, As some of these uncertainties in the market start to diminish, we'll get a clearer picture as to where things are headed. And today's news of the ending of the government shutdown certainly alleviates some of that overhang. But he said most likely some uncertainty will linger as this is only a temporary measure to fund the government for now. With the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland nearing its conclusion, business leaders have expressed worries over the tariff battles, saying they are fed up with the policies between the planet's two largest economies. An escalation of the U.S.-China trade war would sharpen the global economic slowdown already underway, according to a Reuters poll of hundreds of economists worldwide. Fourth quarter, corporate earnings season in high gear. More than 22% of the S&P 500 companies having reported. And of that number, 72% have beaten the expectations of analysts. Earnings today, a mixed bag. Starbucks Corporation surpassed Wall Street consensus, reporting better than anticipated quarterly sales. The coffee chain shares advanced 3.5%. And it was kind of interesting to note in that earnings report, the CEO of Starbucks Corporation, Kevin R. Johnson's fiscal year 2018 total compensation, How's this? $13.4 million, his payment, his compensation for the year. Other stories today, consumer products company Colgate-Palmolive reported fourth quarter revenue that surprised to the upside, however, it said it expects profit to decline in two thousand nineteen for a reason we're hearing from a lot of consumer companies the increased cost of transportation and ingredients. Intel Corporation shares down five and a half percent following the chipmakers disappointing fourth quarter sales and current quarter forecasts. D.R. Horton quarterly results fell short of major expectations and that just added to the persistent weakness in the U.S. housing market. The builder's shares fell 2.6 percent today. But what's ahead for next week? Oh, it's going to be a busy week for reports and earnings reports. Let's quickly go through them. Uh, Apple expected to post a drop in first quarter revenue when it reports on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Facebook expected to report an increase in revenue for the fourth quarter. A fairly busy week as data releases from the Commerce Department, including the fourth quarter Advanced Gross Domestic Product, December Advanced Trade, Wholesale and Retail Inventories figures, as well as December Personal Spending and income reports so there's a lot going on on the report front including a report tuesday from the conference board likely to show its consumer confidence index falling to a reading of 124 in january from 128.1 in december so what about earnings reports well, here they come. Amazon.com expected to report higher fourth-quarter sales and profit as the world's largest online retailer benefits from strong consumer demand during the holiday season. Microsoft expected to report an increase in second-quarter profit. Boeing Company expected to report higher fourth-quarter profit and revenue helped by strong demand for air travel. Tesla Scheduled to report its fourth quarter results on Wednesday. The company expected to report a smaller profit as it struggles to rain-in costs while ramping up Model 3 production. General Electric expected, expected to report on Thursday that earnings and free cash flow fell in 2018. U.S. chemicals giant Dow DuPont expected to report a profit for the fourth quarter next week. And McDonald's Corporation fourth quarter results expected to show an increase in fourth quarter comparable store sales, boosted by new delivery initiatives and low price value meals. Verizon Communications expected to post a rise in fourth quarter revenue as the largest U.S. wireless carrier adds more net new phone subscribers who pay a monthly bill. Meanwhile, AT&T expected to post an increase in fourth-quarter revenue as well, and Sprint Corporation expected to report higher quarterly revenue. Tuesday, a raft of drug maker reports the fourth-quarter results, Pfizer, Allergan, Biogen and Amgen will all be reporting, and Merkin and Company as well will be reporting too. The world's largest publicly traded oil company, ExxonMobil, scheduled to re- release its results for the final quarter of 2018 on Friday, and Chevron Corporation also releasing results for the fourth quarter on the same day. Uh, There are more earnings reports due next week, but we're about out of time to take a look at what's happening in the week ahead. We're going to take a look at what's happened to the agricultural commodity world when we continue, as Max Armstrong is joined by his guest, Paul Georgie of Allendale, when we continue on the markets. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't
1: be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence.
2: From the offices of Allendale Incorporated, Paul Georgie joining us here in the studio this weekend. Well, are you busy in the meeting season? Are you meeting with growers?
1: We are. We've got. Uh, we've done a lot of uh, meetings, uh, especially with banks. Lending institutions have uh, come out of the woodwork again and, and putting on a lot of meetings uh, for crop insurance and so forth. We also have the Allendale uh, annual. Uh, meeting coming air conference coming up uh, this coming week, and it's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, we got Drew Lerner going to talk about the weather here for this coming year, and he's been uh, he's been pretty good at it with for us uh, for many years. And then we got life our grains on Wednesday and livestock on Thursday.
2: I would imagine Drew's look at South America will be uh, of great interest, given the fact that they've gotten quite dry down. there. It
1: is uh, a, a big interest. Uh, however, we've get his research on a daily basis, and uh, he's not quite as uh, negative or, or it, depending on how you look at it, negative on weather, bullish on uh, uh, price and and uh, big reduction in crop con- or conditions in uh, South America. He, see, he thinks that there's uh, some damage, but uh, there's still some pretty good crops coming out of there as well.
2: Around your shop, is there a particular number on Brazil's soybean crop that you folks talk about have in mind right now as to uh, where you would estimate that crop, given the amount of damage that has been reported to this point?
1: Well, I think every day you, you hear numbers, and they're continuing to drop numbers. Uh, I was just reading this morning, uh, one uh, analyst is looking for 115 million metric tons out of, uh, of Brazil, Uh, we think they're probably in that 118 range yet. Uh, We have a tendency of always getting excited when we look at things. I mean, we do it here in the U.S. Farmers in in general have a, and human nature has a a way of judging that where, you know, when it looks bad, we think it's a lot worse than it is. So we're in the probably more conservative number of 118. Uh, A year ago, they were in the uh, 119 to 120 range. So... uh, Probably a smaller crop than uh, last year out of Brazil, but the big uh, deal there is that Argentina is going to produce a lot more bushels, a lot more uh, tonnage than they did a year ago. So coming out of South America in total is still probably looking at a, a larger soybean production out of South America than we had a year ago.
2: This is an earlier Brazil soybean crop, is it not, than a year ago?
1: And the earlier part of the earlier crop is the one that's being damaged the most. Uh, you know, we're hearing very poor production in some acres, uh, and, and the other acres and other areas are are uh, having huge yields. So it just depends if they got that shower or not. And, uh, and the other thing about Brazil is the harvest is moving along, and we're continuing to, uh, to move along with their harvest rapidly, which that takes us to the demand side of the equation where they're bringing uh, soybeans to the marketplace, shipping out new crop soybeans. And that, again, is competing with the, uh, the U.S. Uh, export market.
2: We had a flurry, a little flurry of activity there with Business with China reported a few days ago. What's happened since then, Paul? Is there anything going on? Well, I
1: was just reading the – China China supposedly bought a bunch of cargoes out of Brazil. And uh, price-wise, they're at about $94 a ton. U.S. soybeans are $135 a ton. So there's a good reason why they're they're buying from uh, Brazil. The other uh, thing is, is all these numbers that we normally would get from the USDA – because the government's closed, we're not getting them so I think the trade is kind of hoping for some exciting news, and we probably will whenever the government opens we're going to get one number of export sales from the last time we uh from the last report they gave us, so we could see some massive uh numbers coming out which should be positive to the market and hopefully give the producers some opportunities to uh to market some grain on a, a surge higher. At least that's what everybody's looking for right now.
2: So you think there's still some friendly news to come, given the fact that there's been this uh, void in yep. USDA reporting for I, a few I weeks? I think
1: there is. I think there's, well, it's a double-edged sword. I think the exports will probably be uh, good, and they'll we'll see a big number. So uh, the traders in general are going to look at that and say, wow, this is really good. Uh, but it might be kind of a flash in the pan. The other side of that reporting is that they're going to probably report that we've got a lot of crops left in the U S there's going to be a lot of inventory. We've got ending stocks that are going to be big. Uh, The bean ending stocks is the number that everybody's watching Mm is, is it going to be a billion bushel or is it going to be under a billion? Uh, You know, I don't think it matters either way right now. We've just got a lot of beans that we need to move. So uh, that I think is, uh, is probably the negative uh, that would come out of government reporting. But I think the initial uh, news uh, headlines could be uh, friendly when they start to release their uh their total export sales since the last report. Once the partial
2: government shutdown ends, whenever that is, how many days do you think it'll take before they are able to gen up that machine to get some reports out? Uh, will they then start releasing on a regular schedule, or do you think they'll have some special release dates to catch up? Have you heard anything about that? And then, of course, there's the Ag Outlook Conference that looms out there in a few weeks.
1: That I just asked uh, Rich Nelson about it yesterday. Are they going to have the Outlook Conference? And it seems like. Uh, they're planning on it right now. Uh, I also asked, are we going to have the the February crop report? Because that's coming up here, uh, I think, at the 9th or something of uh, February. So uh, the the rule of thumb there is that they need about two weeks to gather their data to uh, prepare for those reports. So if the government's still closed after February 1st, uh, we might be missing the, uh, the February report as well. So there is a lot of questions on that, and I think uh, this information that we are not getting from the government may turn out to be negative down the road, uh, even though we might get a, a surge of some friendly news uh, at the beginning of that time frame.
2: I hate to think about government being closed that long, but the end of March might be a really big release. You know, that we usually get a planting intentions report at that time, do we not?
1: Well, I, I, I haven't <laughs> thought that far or that negatively yet to think that we're going to fall uh, uh, or not get any information until the end of listen, March. But
2: Listen to the headlines, you're getting negative fast. <laughs> oh, yeah, well,
1: everybody's getting uh, everybody's uh, wearing very thin on this thing. Yeah. And, and normally, the data that is gathered for the end of March acreage report is gathered at the uh, uh, last week of February, the first week of March. So, uh, you know, if we're not in operation at that time, I mean, that could uh, cause some issues of getting the right data, if uh, if at all, for that uh, that March 31st report. Well,
2: does this mean that more than ever the planting decision that the farmer is going to make, whatever that mix is going to be this spring, that more than ever there's there's acreage in flux here. Now, you know, I, I look back to the fall. Many producers make their decisions, start booking seed, you know, as early as August or September. And, and I know we've got some private estimates circulating around now on farmer ideas, but is there more in play this year simply because that grower is watching to see what happens with China yeah, what kind of uh, other indications we're seeing here with the Brazilian crop? What's your view of that, Paul?
1: Well, I think the the uh, the logical answer would be yes. There is a lot of factors involved. But at, just last week, I was sitting around the table with a bunch of farmers, and we were I asked that very specific question: What are you going to plant next year? And uh, out of there was six people around the table. Five of them said we're going to plant our normal rotation. So if we're planting Equal amounts of corn. We're going to plant that same thing this coming year. One gentleman said, "I planted all beans last year. I'm going to plant all corn this year." And because he, and then the other factor we talked about is the uh, the cost of putting the crop in and staying in rotation. You're going to be much better off from a production side of things and cost side. I can reduce my fertilizer cost if I'm going back uh, on where I planted soybeans last year. I'm going to plant corn this year. They can, uh, it's, it's much more profitable and less cost. I th- also think that there will be a percentage of the producers that will Im- be influenced by the lender uh, because the lender is saying, well, you've got to generate some cash. And from what I also heard from sitting around the table and, and talking to a lot of farmers at these meetings is they have got a lot of grain in the bin. And I always ask the question, well, tell me how much grain your neighbor has in the bin because they don't, they don't want to tell me what they have. So, uh, And they, uh, they they laugh at that. And then one guy says, hey, I got a lot of corn in my bin too. And I think that's the case. They've got a lot of grain. They need to sell. They're hoping for some kind of surge in price. But the lender also is in a tough situation because he's saying, well, you gotta, you've got this corn, you've got the cash, you need to sell something in order to generate some cash on your own. I can give you so much money, and you've got to generate the rest. So that's going to determine if they put corn in or soybeans because of uh, total cost. But in reality, if April weather is good for planting corn, they're going to plant corn. Uh, Our numbers suggest that we could see about 4 million more acres of corn this year, uh, and about three to three and a half million less acres of soybeans. Uh, I know there's other analysts out there that don't see that much, uh, don't uh, see the, that big of an increase in corn acres. But from a rotation standpoint, you could easily see that because we planted a lot more beans last year. So uh, there's a lot of questions about what the farmer will do. Uh, money has some influence. Weather will have a big influence. Rotation has an influence. So, uh We've got we've got a lot of things to keep track of here over the next couple months.
2: I know the results of one survey prompted one analyst to say that maybe the the producers were being a little more cautious about shifting into corn where they were waiting and uh, there had been this news of uh, you know kind of a détente in the trade war with China that the discussions were going to be moving along and and uh, that was friendly to soybeans, and they might not shift as much as indicated maybe last fall or in previous surveys. Do you think that uh, the growers are hanging that much on the headlines? I mean, it didn't sound like it from those folks you were talking I, I
1: think to. they talk about the headlines. Yeah. I don't think they're going to make decisions on the headlines. And I just some reality here, if we – Rich Nelson has done some numbers – if we decrease the soybean acres by about 3 million, million acres – and we use trend yield, ending stocks will actually be over 1 billion bushel for soybeans uh, under the, the, what we know now. And uh, so corn is not going to be influenced very much. If we reduce the yield by the trend yield, uh, take us to trend yield in corn, increase the acres, we're going to have ending stocks in corn within 50 million bushel of where we had it this year. But the soybeans, just because uh, the, uh, the yield – the trend yield and the acres, we could have an, an increase in ending stocks again uh, this coming year in 2019 2020 crop. Are you somewhat friendly to the corn market? I can be. Uh, I think it's going to, I think we've got ending stocks or stocks to usage ratios about 11.2%, which is really very friendly. Uh, if we have any hiccup in supply at all, uh, I think that is uh, positive. Uh, and if we can have a handshake with China, uh, they could be buying more corn. They're increasing their ethanol production there. They're going to need more corn to feed livestock and, and, uh, and could possibly be supportive. So the corn is friendly, but I am not what I would call bullish. I think our, our numbers suggest somewhere during this coming marketing year, we probably can get the 420 to 440 range in the uh, December corn contract. So if that's bullish, then that's bullish. But I I think the, the producer needs to take opportunities of any rallies to market that. I don't think we're, you know, a $3 corn right now either. So I think we're in a trading range there. But the soybeans, we've done some economic value studies on that. And with the current ending stocks, the way it sets in soybeans right now, It looks like we could have an economic value there of seven dollars and seventy cents. Ouch! And that's that's. I told that to these producers the other day, and they go, "As exactly was their comment." Ouch! I don't know if I could take that. (laughs) They didn't kick you out of the meeting. No, they didn't. They just realized that it's a it is a tough situation ahead of us here, and they got to be very efficient on their marketing. And they, the producer, what they really have to do is focus on cutting their input cost. I think is really the way to to save uh, and or make some profit this year in agriculture. That
2: may mean uh, some shrewd conversations with their input suppliers, too. I mean, uh, you know, there's some folks suggesting that when you sit across that table with that ag retailer, you need to really have some very serious discussions. And and I've had some growers tell me I'm shopping around to the degree that I haven't in the past for those inputs.
1: I think that's very uh, true. They've got to have some very tough talks with them if they want to continue to do business with you as the farmer. The other surprising thing is the land rents, uh, using University of Illinois numbers, land rents in average of Illinois only come down $4 an acre. Yeah. I mean, that. Uh, but when you've got land prices uh, where they're at, there probably is some justification for that. But it's, that's where uh, a lot of uh, costs can be curbed
2: as well. Paul, we always appreciate your visits when you come by to talk with us. Thank you for doing so uh, this
1: week. Thank you very
2: much, Max. Paul Georgie with Allendale.
1: For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence
0: couple of stories from the Environmental Protection Agency this week. The Trump Administrator's senior air pollution official said today he and his agency were still exploring the science of climate change and fell short of calling it a crisis. Bill Wareham, U.S. EPA Agency Assistant Administrator for Air and Radiation, And previously, a lobbyist for coal and oil industry interests said at a public event in Washington that he supported a rollback of former President Obama's centerpiece climate change regulation. The other story, dealing with the U.S. uh, Environmental Protection Agency, it said today it will complete a proposal to expand sales of higher ethanol Blends of gasoline in time for the summer driving season, despite delays from the partial government showdown. Bill Wareham said, I still think we can get the rule done in time, and what I mean by that is get the rule in place by the start of the summertime. President Trump had promised U.S. farmers and biofuels producers that his administration would lift a long-time ban on summertime sales of E-15 to help boost demand for corn-based fuel. And uh, looking at uh, agricultural market activity price-wise, today soybean futures climbed to a two-week high on concerns about the size of Brazil's crop and some short covering ahead of the planned U.S.-China trade talks next week. Corn firmed following strength in soybeans while wheat drifted lower. And at the end of the trading session, March wheat was down half a cent, $5.21 a bushel. That's where we'll start trade on Monday. March corn ended with a gain of three and three quarter cents, $3.80 and a quarter cents a bushel. And March soybeans ended with a gain of seven and a half cents today. That'll put it at $9.23 and a half cents a bushel as we start trade next week. Meanwhile, let's look at livestock. Mercantile exchange hog futures fell sharply today, with the most active April contract hitting its lowest level in more than five months. Disappointing export demand failed to ease the supply glut in the United States. China's import support from the U.S. fell by more than half to about 263,000 tons in 2018, according to customs data that we received on friday and the bitter cold snap and snow across the midwest boosting feed costs for livestock producers as they tried to maintain animal weights so at the end of the day we saw the april lean hog contract down a dollar 45 cents and it'll start trade next week at 62 dollars 12 cents a hundred weight february live cattle up seventy cents for the day it'll start the week at one hundred twenty six dollars five cents, and March feeder cattle ended the day down seventy cents, it will start the week at three hundred at one hundred forty three dollars and sixty two cents a hundred weight. The other thing as we look ahead to next week, yeah, there is more stuff going on on the meeting front. This week uh, in New Orleans, New Orleans has been the farm meeting headquarters this year. The uh, sheep industry was there, and next week the National Cattlemen's Beef Association will hold its annual convention in New Orleans. We're out of time. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson. Thank you for joining us on the markets